This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. It is a Tuesday. That means we bring you the Knowledge Bank at this hour. My guest is going to be Professor Sabelondlovu Gajeni on a paper that he wrote, The Cognitive Empire, Politics of Knowledge and African Intellectual Productions, Reflections on Struggles for Epistemic Freedom and Resurgence of Decolonization in the 21st Century. Woo! That is quite a mouthful, isn't it? We're just trying to connect to him because uh, he is stationed in Germany these days. And uh, we are trying to, you know, uh, get a hold of him. And we are finally true to Professor uh, Sabelo Ndlovu Gajeni, who is the holder currently of the Chair of Epistemologies of the Global South with emphasis on Africa at the University of Beirut. In Germany, I prof, you will have to correct me. I doubt I got that German pronunciation right. Good morning, welcome to Power Talk. Thanks, thanks, thanks. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Great. Uh, prof, you will help me pronounce that university you are stationed at at the moment in Germany. Uh, last I knew you were in Unisa, and then now, hey, prof, was at Germany. University of Bayreuth. Of Bayreuth. Yes. No, thank you very much. Uh, Prof, thank you for joining us uh, this morning and making the time uh, here on this feature that we call the Knowledge Bank, where we deposit intellectually. We don't have money. And we were very much uh, you know, fascinated by uh, your paper, The Cognitive Empire, Politics of Knowledge and African Intellectual Productions. Perhaps, Prof, before we go through you know, the thematic areas of the paper, uh, is to ask the typical academic question as to what, what were you trying to answer uh, with this paper? Um, thank you so much for uh, <clears throat> asking that question. In fact, uh, uh, as you might uh, notice, is that uh, our current moment at a global scale uh, in general and in South Africa in particular <clears throat> is dominated by the questions of uh, of decolonization. Mm. And uh, in South Africa, the, the roads must fall and the fees must fall movement, that debate escalated into into a higher level. So at the center of that debate is the question of uh, who is producing what knowledge and for what purpose. Yes. And uh, in this paper, I was actually uh, trying to see are there precedents before the roads must fall and the fees must fall, which we can uh, <clears throat> go to to see uh, the whole trajectory of the decolonization from the time of the early decolonization in the 1960s to the present. So the question I was trying to answer there is the question of whether there are African contributions to 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 decolonizing knowledge. <clears throat> because the one of the questions which emerged was that uh, most people, they would talk about the Latin American contribution yes. to decolonization. They will also talk about um, uh, the Middle East, you cite as well. And, uh, and then they become silent on the African contribution of to knowledge. And they even criticizing others for using Latin America 
they then create an impression that decolonization comes from Latin America, and I don't think that is correct. Now, Prof, you then introduce an interesting concept of the cognitive empire, which draws inspiration in some way from Ngugi Wationgo's metaphysical empire. What is this concept all about? It is an important concept as far as I'm concerned, because we will not understand why we are still talking about decolonization 60 years after Nigeria and the other countries gained political independence, or 20-something years after South Africa moved from apartheid to democracy. If we don't understand the concept of cognitive empire, some people will think we're talking about an event of the past. Mm. But what I'm trying to, to bring to the fore here is that don't confuse the issue of the dismantlement of the physical empire with the dismantlement of the epistemic colonialism. So epistemic colonialism survived the dismantlement of the physical empire, and it continues to cause epistemic violence today. So I'm using that concept to to highlight the issue that um, with colonialism, there is also invasion of the mental universe of a people and the colonization of the minds. And that does not come to an end with the end of colonialism in its physicality. And you suggest somewhere that this, uh, you know, invasion of the mind is somewhat, uh, you know, anchored by the intimacy of, uh, you know, the, the intimate, the concept of the intimate enemy, where you say the intimacy was in its seductive appeals and rhetoric of progress, development, emancipation and salvation, as well as its creation of secular orders. It does seem that, I mean, uh, not only was everything brutal with colonialism? There were seductive appeals to it as well. In fact, in the knowledge domain, it was the knowledge which was coming from Europe, it came under the package of civilization. And in that package of civilization, African people, the colonized people, were always uh, invited that if you abandon your own knowledges, if you abandon your own spiritualities, mm. if you abandon your own languages, and you follow this trajectory, we will recognize you as a human being. And it is that which I see as the seductive aspect. So a lot of us then came to the schools, to uh, mission schools, to universities, uh, under that, that, that banner of the seduction, that uh, if you get educated, if you acquire degrees, diplomas, and certificates, and therefore you gain some recognition. But the major problem is that the the racial ceiling of colonialism is very low. Mm. The more you try to enter into those spaces, the more you will hit the ceiling. And the more you will realize that even how many degrees you can have, racism does not actually then accord you a, an, an, an equal opportunity with the other races. You are still a, a some second-class citizen, indeed. Uh, now, Prof, you then talk about, uh, you, you know, a, this invasion leads to a variety of, uh, you know, uh, you know, of colonialism, but it has to kill certain things. Uh, where you introduce us to uh, consequences of all these processes have been epistemicides, uh, linguicides, and you know, uh, culture sides. Can you talk us through this concept of killing? And I suppose it's not overnight that this killing happens. Uh, it's probably gradual. Do people ever get to rediscover themselves after these have taken root? 
Yeah, in fact, it's a, I'm, I was there now trying to analyze the consequences of the cognitive empire. Yes. And, and I think it, there are two layers in which we can understand the consequences of the cognitive empire, particularly I was also interrogating myself rather than other people because yeah. I'm also a product of, of this empire. So what, what I was realizing is that the consequ- one of the major consequences of the cognitive empire is that it then produces um, African academics who then adopt what I would call um, radical assimilation yes. of what, what comes from Europe. Uh, even uh, understanding of standards of excellence you then you then you then follow the the, the trajectory uh, the way it is given from europe and uh, you you have a, a group of scholars who are not very critical of the eurocentric knowledge yeah and they think it is really the knowledge and they think when it talks about this it's a it's a standards and it's a, it's a, no it's the protocols of 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 of, of excellence that is what we need to meet. So they, you have one, that is one consequence. Then the second consequence, you have scholars who decide to, 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 to adopt what I would call a liminary space. Mm. And they, 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 they are always in between. Some are one day critical, one day they accept, one day critical, one day they accept. And then we have a third layer of, of, of African intellectuals who, who, who will actually get angry because of of uh, of uh, of Eurocentrism, and then they decide to move into another extreme, which we call uh, radical alterity or radical difference. Mm. And then they begin to say Africans are a different species; they, are, they have a different knowledge, and 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 all that, which are also very problematic positionality. Then we have others who are emerging now, who are beginning to say, but let's trace, let's trace uh, in a more careful way. How does this? This, this issue of colonialism remained with us even after having sacrificed lives, limp and everything. Mm. And that's, that's decolonization. But I also come then to the second layer of, of, of the consequences. What does it do to knowledge which are pre-existing? Yeah. What does it do to languages which are pre-existing? What does it do to cultures and the histories which are pre-existing? Then I'm using these concepts like epistemicide, linguicide, uh, culture side to actually name what it is intending to do. Whether mm. it is successful or not, that's another question. But the intentionality is there to destroy what it finds in order to impose what it brings. So you will find that we still have Isizulu, we still have yes. Isizutu, we still have Iswana. As survivors, not as intention. Now, so, so this is why I'm, I'm, using, I'm using those concepts and I'm also using the issue because some people will say no but you can kill maybe bodies of people but you can't kill their the ideas the intentionality, yeah. was there. the intentionality was there to do that that we survive and i always link it with the issue of genocide yes that you can't therefore say there was a genocide against the jews then if you see one jew then you say there was no genocide mm. those are survivors so what what exists as our knowledge is knowledge which then survived maybe in our parents, in the rural areas, in the in the in the in the margin, yeah, and that is what we are supposed to recover and bring to the to the fore, bring to the academy. Now, Prof. So, so I'm using both. 
I'm using those terms not in the absolute sense that there was nothing, they finished everything. Yes. There was always resistance if 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 if, if, if you if you get it. From the very time of colonialism, people were resisting and they were resisting by preserving their knowledge, preserving their spiritualities. Yes. And it is from that we then can build uh, and reconstitute the epistemologies. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to what you call epistemic freedom, Prof. But there's an interesting uh, concept you also draw from, which is from Minolo and Walsh, where uh, they posited that ontology is made up of epistemolo- epistemology. And often we tend to treat these as not necessarily intertwined where you know the academy will present ontology just as the study of being and existence and where people come from and epistemology just being about you know knowledge and the truth in the knowledge and so on uh, why is it important to create this connection and 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 you know uh, concretize this connection uh, that ontology in fact is made of epistemology as almost as saying that in the in the in the in the process of knowledge production there could actually be an an, an institution of new being on people because some of their knowledge could have been wiped out in fact, um, uh, it's an important concept as far as I'm concerned in the sense that it liberates us from the issue of naturality of things yeah the issue of instances. If you say it is natural that there is inequality in the West, mm. if you say it is natural that some people are rich, some are poor, if if, if you say that you are making us, uh, you are actually demobilizing almost everyone. If you say if you say that, but if you say, but even the notions of of, of inequality, the issue of hierarchized. Uh, a social pyramid of human beings that some, the lighter you are, the higher ontological density, the darker you are, the lower ontology. These are not yeah. natural phenomena. It's actually a creation of a system. And this system, in order to create that, it uses knowledge to do so. Mm. So it, 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 the idea of knowledge becomes very important when you say knowledge actually frames ontology. Because you are saying, if we change in the knowledge domain, we can change in systems, in institutions, and in uh, in, in in everything in in the structures. Uh, but if you if if you adopt a naturalistic point of view, whereby all these things are natural, then it means we must just fold our heads and they sit and they, we can't change anything. So I was trying to bring the to the fore. Why is it that? the decolonization of the 21st century is focusing more on knowledge. There is a reason for that. Yes. There is a realization that the all mess, where they mess us up more, it is actually in the colonization of knowledge. And when they colonize knowledge, they then make sure that they, that, that expresses itself in institutions and the system. So some of the issues which appear as systemic problems, which appear as institutional problems, which appear as ideological problems in the surface, they are fundamentally epistemic. They have epistemic roots. So this is, this is why I was trying to bring that. And it takes us from that old debate on the egg and the, and the chicken. And the chicken, type, yes. The debate between ontology and epistemology. So I was trying to get a window out of that. And I thought the window really is about this issue of saying, but what, what, what creates the other? It looks like knowledge plays a major role in creating uh, 
in creating our subjectivities. In fact, remember, apart from the system with this racial knowledge, it created us as one to as natives, as one to stand, as people they want to stand. That was knowledge which was being abused politically, instrumentally. To, to, to push people out of nationality and making them foreigners in their own country. In fact, uh, Prof, you know, this idea of fighting for, you know, epistemic freedom, you then draw from Steve uh, Biko, and I was reminded of Prof Mabuchumure's, uh, you know, almost lifetime engagement to prove that Biko was a philosopher and so many people uh, would, you know, sidetrack him. But you say, his I write what I I like, I write what I want, is partly a dramatization of claiming epistemic freedom and partly a philosophical subversion of apartheid colonial invasion of the African mental universe. How important is that? I found that to be a very important expression of what I was trying to to, to put forward as epistemic freedom because what colonialism does, it takes away that right to write as yourself. It takes away that right to be a thinker, to be a theorist. They are just consuming what is produced, maybe in the global north, mm. as theory. Then we try to apply on the continent. So when Steve Bigo says, I write what I want, that's, 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 a, that's, that's, that's the expression of how to turn upside down this idea that you will need to follow what others have written. You are not a writer yourself. Yeah. But that, that, that to me was really a philosophical statement of, of, of statement of epistemic freedom. That, but I, I'm a thinker. I'm a writer. I, I, I have all my own ideas. I have my own world view. I have my own world means of world sensing. And that is what is at the core, at the end of the day, when we talk about decolonization. What else do we want to do at the end of the day? We want to think as ourselves and to think from where we are rather than to be located in South Africa physically. But every time we are thinking from New York, we are thinking from London, we are yeah. thinking from Berlin. Okay, that, Prof. That, that is the colonialism Prof, just, to change. Prof, just please stay on the line for me. I need to go to news headlines. I'll be back with you. Uh, my guest is Professor Sabelon Jeni on the Knowledge Bank here. His paper, The Cognitive Empire, Politics of Knowledge and African Intellectual Productions. But for now, let's go to Power News Headlines. Tweet Lukona at Lukona Mguni and hashtag Power Talk. Okay, and of course, you can dial us on 0861-987-000. The Knowledge Bank is our bank for, is a bank for all of us to exercise what I call intellectual gymnastics. My guest is uh, Professor Sabelo Ndlovukajeni, and we are dealing with his paper, The Cognitive Empire, Politics of Knowledge and African Intellectual Productions, taking us through uh, parts of that paper. It's quite a comprehensive paper. We'll find a way for you to get it if you are in interested in it uh, so we are not probably going to cover everything in the paper prof uh, let's let's now look at the role of uh, perhaps universities in africa and uh, what their duty should be in this process of freeing us from the cognitive empire and there have been calls uh, throughout uh, the ages i mean even the now later limazri at some point making a call for the africanization of the university in Africa. What is the role being played by our universities? Yeah, in fact, I must say that um, as they exist now, most of them 
if not all of them, are actually part and parcel of the modern world system. In other words, they are located in Africa, they are located uh, uh, in our spaces, but at the same time, I think the best description are universities in Africa, not African universities. And uh, this has implications in terms of their mission and their purpose, because uh, uh, most of them, uh, the older ones, you know, they were colleges of the University of London, like the university where I studied at the University of Zimbabwe. It was a college of the University mm. of London. And the standards and everything was part and parcel of the London uh, package. And uh, we then renamed it University of Zimbabwe, but that's not enough. You can give it a, a local name, but uh, we will need to still continue the difficult part of changing the institutional cultures of the universities so that it reflects the African uh, location and the African epistemologies, cosmologies, and the spiritualities. And whatever is African, it needs to really reflect that. But at the moment, they don't reflect that. If you are going to a university, it's like you are you need to die of being an African in order to be reborn. <laughs> Inside that institution. <laughs> yeah, yes, because it means you change your dressing, you change your accent, you change so many other things. It's still like we are going for a civilizational uh, a process. And that's where there they is a, a problem. Because a university uh, basically must reflect the society in which it, 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 it lives. And they must actually produce knowledge which is relevant to mm. that society. But at the moment, the knowledges which we produce uh, within the universities are still not very free from Eurocentric origin. So in the, in the second is that even the languages in which we deliver yes. the knowledge in which we teach, in which we research, they are languages which actually came with colonialism. Uh, the bulk of the people are actually speaking another language. The university speaks another language. And how are we going to understand each other if we are like that? So it's important that, 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 that we try to change that and make sure that the university takes into account the, the, the linguistic uh, resources which, 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 which come from Africa. And as such, maybe we can understand each other better. Talking about resources, are, Prof, that come from Africa, you also give us a summary of African ideological uh, production, talking there, you know, negritude, Gavism, Pan-Africanism, African nationalism, and more. How would you say these ideologies are finding expression in the present-day university in the continent? In fact, what has happened is that they've been delegitimated as though they were not uh, uh, actually useful ideologies. Of course, they were problematic, as I say in the paper. Yes. But you can't throw them out as though they, they, they were useless. So the university spends all, most, most of its time critiquing them rather than uh, doing what I suggested in the paper, empathetic reading, which is not a sympathetic reading. Empathetic reading, meaning you read them in context. So that you understand what is it that made them to emerge at that moment. And if you do that, you'll find that there is a lot of value in them. But at the moment, I don't think they are actually central part of the universities. At the university at the moment is corporatization, is commercialization, it's really neoliberal 
ideology which is dominant. It mm. is not the, that outlined in that paper. And it is only now with the roads must fall and the peace must fall that they were bringing in black consciousness because black consciousness, they were bringing in Fanonian yes. uh, decolonization. They were bringing in uh, Afrocentricity and all others. Achimafeje, they were drawing from him as well. And... They, are bringing, they are bringing people like the works of Achimafeje back into the university. But I also wanted to warn that the major problem about also bringing these into an untransformed university is that you are actually bringing them for disciplining. Because the major issue, like works like the works of Fanon, the works of Pico, the works of Capral, the works of, 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 of others, they were not produced within the university. They were produced in Strat. Mm. And they, as they were produced in Strat, when you bring them to the university, you begin to ask yourself, where do I put Capral? Political science? Psychology? <laughs> Or sociology. <laughs> when, you do, when you do that, you are beginning to cut the cutting edges of that thought. Yeah. Because it was not meant to be, to be, to be disciplined that way. And uh, when you are disciplining it, you are actually forcing it into a particular epistemology within a university. And uh, therefore, you are colonizing it, even if you have good intentions of bringing it into the academy. So we need to be careful also when we do that. Okay. Prof, please stay on the line and take some notes. I've got people on the line. Uh, 0861-987-000. This is the Knowledge Bank with Prof Sabelo Ndovu Gajeni. Steve, good morning. Hi, good morning, Lukona. Uh, you know, the first one here would be, I mean, decoloniality has been there for quite some time. You know, mm. in an attempt to come to terms with, you know, continuity instead of change, you know, in the South African setup. And, you know, we came to the conclusion that what we have is a continuation of colonialism, which is decoloniality. Mm. But within the academic context, there has been other, you know, criticisms of decoloniality itself. And I'm expecting that by now, you know, uh, Professor Gajeni would have been able to engage with one particular criticism that I found very scathing on decoloniality. And that is one done by Peter Hudson on what he refers to as the colonial unknowing. And the intention here for Peter Hudson is to establish the fact that, you know, despite what happened in 1994, South Africa is still essentially a capitalist society. And if there is any form of coloniality at all. It is not inscribing political and social practice. You know, that's my first comment. I want him to comment on that. Okay. The second one, it's not going to be too long. Uh, I'm a little concerned about whether, you know, South African universities have deep balkanized. By that I mean, you know, we used to stand up uh, Walter Rodney. You know, how a Europe underdeveloped Africa, not because we wanted to integrate him into the archive. The purpose of bringing Walter Rodney was to bring him up as a strong man, only to beat him down again, mm. and then establish the Marxist Leninist paradigm, you know, as the radical paradigm. The prof there talks about Africanism, Gaviism, you know, these are isms which in the South African context in the past 40 years were not even talked about.
precisely because the kind of radical paradigm you know, that South Africa had to embrace, particularly South African universities, would be the Marxist-Leninist paradigm. And we haven't moved away from that. Okay. Can you comment that? Okay, I'll, I'll get him to do that. Let's go to Michael. Michael, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Okay, let me just tell you what I think. The most Michael, important. just get closer to your mic. I can't hear you. Sorry, can you hear me now? Better, but still shaky. Okay, let me let me do this. Okay, let me just tell you what I think. The most important thing that Africa's got to do, they've got to take out English from a la- as a language. You've got to speak your own language in your own country. Otherwise, you will never be able to improve because you think better in your own country. You've got to make curriculums that are in your, in your languages. Because your language is what you know, is what you think. When you speak English, you're thinking in your own language. Therefore, you can't become more intelligent in your own language. And that's what's got to happen. The universities have got to be in, the, oh, in, in, in African languages. The schools have got to be in African languages. They cannot be in English. Otherwise, you'll have colonialism for the rest of your life. Because you'll always think of it. Every time you speak English, you'll think of colonialism. If you take Europe... Where, where the places used to be, uh, like Greece, was under Turkish rule for 400 years. When it got out of Turkish rule, it spoke Greek, Greek. And now it is a Greek country. And that's what I'm trying to say. If you'll never get out of colonialism, if you carry on using their universities, their language, their schools, okay. you've got to use your own. Michael, I got you loud and clear. Joining us from Randbeck Field, let me take you before I go back to Prof. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Lukona, and good morning to, to Prof. Uh, I've been following and reading most of his uh, uh, work yeah. for past years. You know, the, the in order to develop a new African identity, we need to understand how we were colonized uh, 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 as Africans. Mm. You know, the, the, the Prof was right to say that in the uh, you know, colonial invasions of the African mental uh, universe, was done through the removal of the hard disk of the previous African memory and knowledge. And, and, and that was done by inserting the software of the European uh, memory. Even mm-hmm. how our education system runs, even how our economic uh, uh, models of development uh, were done, were meant to keep Africans to, 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 to become poor. And this was done by sowing some of the, the, the colonial uh, uh, colonization of the mind, like Prof talked about the epi-missite, epi, 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 uh, which is the killing of the existing knowledge, yes. the which is the killing of the existing languages, a culture site, which is the killing of the existing cultures, alienation, which is uh, 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 exiling of self from history, culture, and language, and even uh, the, the, the self, and the cultural uh, uh, imperialism, which is the, the imposition of alien cultures. We, we need to, 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 to look at the work of Ali Munzarai, look at the work of Michael West, look at the work of Franz Fanon, to, to try to reverse that that, was, which, that that was done, which is still keeping us down as, as Africans. God bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Phil. Uh, Temba and Victor, please do stay on the line, but I want to give uh, Prof. and Lovgajenia an opportunity to respond to those before I come to you. No, thank you. Thank you so much for these uh, important uh, inputs and the, and, the, and the questions. Of course, uh, I think Phil, he was really just affirming some of the issues which, 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 which I was raising there and the, and the underscoring their importance. And uh, for Michael also, Michael was also speaking about the importance of 
changing the language. Yes. And I agree totally with him that he, when we talk of language, we're not talking about simple communication. We're talking really about a career of knowledge, a career of identity, a career of culture. But what colonialism did was that uh, from my own experience, I went to school where by the office was written in front of the door of the, the head the head teacher, it was written, this is an office. Mm. You must use official language. And, uh, and uh, that meant that we could not use our native languages within the school premises. And uh, that created an attitude in young minds that your own language is inferior. Yes. And uh, when you then have the sign of being educated, is to speak in French, to speak in English, to speak in, in, in Spanish, these six colonial languages. So that's why in the paper I'm talking about the seduction. Again, it was like if you speak in English, then you will get employment. If you get employment, then you live better. You see all these things linking language and the, and the welfare and the existentialism. So it, 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 it is something which we need to deal with to the extent that at the moment you will find that even other black people are refusing. They are actually teaching their children even within their homes to speak in English. Mm. And they deliberately moving away from their own indigenous languages. And all these are products of what we call coloniality. And we need to continue to, to unlearn what, what, what colonialism was trying to teach us and how colonialism was trying to alienate ourselves from ourselves. So I find that to be, to be very important. Uh, then the first question, which, which I think was even more difficult, was the issue about the, the weaknesses or the limitations of decoloniality, and yes. also bringing in the issue of Marxist Leninist paradigm. Is there some time of a radical we, paradigm indeed? Yeah. We have just edited a volume which is coming on the 1st of July on Marxism and decolonization mm. through ideas and living theories. And the idea is I don't think there is antagonism between the Marxist and the decolonization. There are people who criticize Marxist thought and they say Marx was a, a white man or something like that. Yeah. But uh, what they normally ignore is that there are so many black Marxists who actually began to question Marx, not to abandon Marxism, but to say Marxism must actually be extended to reflect on other other situations outside Europe. Fanon even says and you must many, stretch him a bit uh, to, 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 uh, to get to the race question. And, the, and the, those, the interesting part, Fanon is one of the giants on which we stand in decolonial thinking. Mm. But he was actually self-proclaimed Marxist. And Krumah was a self-proclaimed Marxist. And they, today, the decolonial project cannot stand on anything and they ignore Krumah. Uh, Cabral was a Marxist, and uh, you remember his speech at the third, uh, the Tricontinental Conference in 1966, where he criticized Marxism without necessarily throwing it out. Mm. So, so the, the, that 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 the need for us to then realize the connections between decolonization and the Marxism. It was not always there was no tension between the two. Uh, they they were always. Uh, if if I if I convergences if I if I can use the word yeah. and the the idea that what we received say in South Africa is more a consequence of what what Cedric Robinson called racial cap, racial capitalism. 
how capitalism operates in the periphery is not always similar in the way it operates in the metropole. Mm. And in the periphery, you have race and the class. You can't ignore the other and go for one. And I think that that is important for us. And today, we're also adding the third element, gender. Yes. You can't actually that's why we come up with the, the complexing, complicating concept of intersectionality. Whereby you, when you are talking about class, you need to also talk about uh, race. You need to also talk about gender. You need to also talk about spirituality. You need to talk also about so many vectors of oppression. Oppression was always multiple mm. in, its, in, its, in, its, in its delivery. And when we are fighting against it, don't pick one aspect. Because if you pick one aspect, that's when you are then criticized of being reductionist. And then you create an impression that, no, the only thing which was oppressing us is a class. But what about the race? What about gender? And what about all these others? Yeah. They are connected inextricably. So it's important that we do that. And then in terms of the weaknesses of decoloniality and the decolonization, my, my, my take is that it will never be a perfect project because it is a project which is actually a liberatory project mm. it is born out of realities of pain oppression and it it will never be perfect okay uh, prof it will always have, it will always have its own problem on that note prof let me go back to the lines that i give temba and victor a chance so that you can also respond to them uh, victor good morning uh, morning Lucona, and morning to the prof there at studio uh yeah look um I'm I'm a bit worried because there have been too much complaints mm. uh, other than improvements. What I want to know uh, from the prof is everything done colonially is is it is it bad that everything that was done by colonialists is it bad? That's number one. Mm. And then can he list at least few good things or bad things if there are any that was done by colonialism? And then. What are Africans doing? I mean, to change those things. Because if I look at how long most of the African countries have been independent, and uh, but I don't see anything changes that like came from the African mind, which can compete with the other world, you know. Okay. So that's my main worry. Victor, I'll put you know? that uh, to Prof. Uh, Temba, good morning. Uh, uh, um thank you for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, my my first comment is. You know, in our pursuance of Africanism, we must be careful not to be too intoxicated by the concept of being African. Mm. Almost as if we are African, where we lose our Africanness <laughs> if we divert, if we speak a different language. Mm. The reason uh, that English, for argument's sake, and and and, and China, uh, I forget what the what the, the language is, and other parts of the world that they've retained, is not only because. They want to get incredible marks. It's simply because they've, recon- they've restructured their economy such that speaking that language, speaking the language itself, can, 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 can assist in you being productive in the economy. So, so pursuing African, because mm. <laughs> you know, it loses its meaning the minute you, you say, well, uh, you know, why am, I, why am I not making money from it? Yeah. Number two, if you look at in the context of South Africa anyway, I don't know about them and other parts of Africa, but in the South African context, we had schools that were established by apartheid where there was an insistent by apartheid government that we must do vernacular in, in some instances in high grade, regardless of the fact that you are born Umzulu, 
uh, in an area based to you, you will have to do an African language. Mm. Now, what has happened in post-apartheid is that uh, because those languages did not were not supported by a system of of of, of, of economics, you found with the, 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 with time there was a deterioration of those of, of those languages to a point where uh, you find even even what what you call the story Sabetswana. They would have umzuri lapaina as 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 double Swana okay. and, and nobody ever protects it. But one last point. Tema quickly, point. quickly, quickly. Okay, one last point. In our in our fight for this identity, I would say the prof, if you can just elaborate on, uh, give 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 maybe some 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 education around. If you look at countries that militarized, they are changed from what what they were during colonialism to what they were during independence. You'll find the military philosophies have come out to be much, 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 much more effective. Okay, I think, I, get, I, think, I think we get the point. It's about transitions. TC, quickly, before I get, get back to Prof. Uh, to, to the Prof, would he think that uh, uh, when it comes to education, uh, Medunsa has gives us a very big platform to work with language and science? Mm that in in essence it, it it would cater for more human development than learning in a language that is more scientific when it comes to our original languages things would be much easier yeah so so if i were to explain a muscle it would be i have to explain which one specifically but if kasetwana get it careful you know where I am. And you don't need to... Please do wrap up, TC. You don't need to try to remember and interpret to your language. And from there, human science, it will be better because most of the economy is based on uh, medicine. Okay, TC, got you loud and clear. Prof, I have three minutes for you. I'm not sure how you are going to compress your response. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will will try. I think in the first instance, I must correct the idea that decolonization is about identity. I don't think that is the correct understanding. Yeah. It is also not about That is not also a correct understanding. Uh, decolonization is really a liberatory project. A liberatory project which actually identifies colonialism is overwhelmingly negative impact. There might be accidents of uh, positive uh, development like some people will talk about infrastructure, which was not meant for you. You just benefit. Yeah. It was meant for something, for something else. So again, then the other issue of uh, language and economy, I don't know why English should actually boost the economy and why Isivenda could not do that. I'm not sure what, what, what Temba is trying to say there. Uh, because the issue is, uh, I think languages are languages. There's, mm. there's nothing like a scientific language, a non-scientific language, all languages can be languages of science. Chinese are using their own languages. Indians are using their own languages, but they are developed. So I don't know why our own languages can be languages of underdevelopment. So that that would be my 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 quick my quick responses to those questions. And and summation and prof, I mean I must say you do conclude by saying that we need to continue the tasks of, of historicizing both colonialism and decolonization as they cannot be taken as self-evident in the first place because they are both evolving and are not to be treated as past formations and movements. And I think there you give us the call to say even decolonization itself is not a static concept. Indeed, indeed it is 
it is we, we will need to, it's important that people raise these questions so that we redefine clearly what decolonization is mm. and the decolonization why it has been a it goes into a lull and then it comes back it is a cry for the people people are feeling the pain and then they name it in a, in, a, in, a, in a concept which they think will liberate them. And the decolonization is one of them. There can be others which I'm not familiar with. Yeah. But so far, we can't disqualify decolonization. A lot of people see value in it as a, as a medium, as a method of changing uh, the languages, changing the institutional cultures, changing curriculum, changing pedagogies. So in that instance, it is useful. Okay. Prof, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure you've got a better weather that side. It must be summer where you are in the side of the world. We are dying from the cold winter as no, you would be aware. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Prof. That's Professor Savelonlovu Kacheni joining us all the way from Germany where he is Professor and Chair of Epistemologies of the Global South with emphasis on Africa at the University of Beirut in Germany. His paper was... The Cognitive Empire, Politics of Knowledge, and the African Intellectual Productions, Reflections on Struggles for Epistemic Freedom and Resurgence of Decolonization in the 21st Century. That brings an end to Power Talk this morning. If you want to deposit in the Knowledge Bank intellectually, you can always email me, lukona at power987.co.za. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.